to the world. Well, open your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 1. Let me read a couple of verses of Scripture tonight and see if we can get through a few minutes of preaching. You endure it and I'll try to enjoy it, okay? Chapter 1 of the book of Romans. Let's stand together, please, for the reading of the Word of God. Romans chapter 1. If you're there, would you say amen? amen? And if you're not there, just join along with us as we read together. Verse 14. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Written, of course, by the Apostle Paul. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Father, bless thy word that's been read in the hearing of every one individuals here tonight, or they've read along with us. And I pray, Lord, you'll send the message deep in our hearts. Help us to relive and recall the words of the Apostle Paul on a regular basis. Help us, Lord, to have the I am's that we're now ready to preach the gospel. We're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God. We have a debt we need to pay. Lord Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe, we realize that. But Lord, we have a debt to pay. We can't buy our salvation. Apostle Paul couldn't either. But he realized he had a debt to get the message to every man, woman, boy, and girl that he possibly could in his lifetime. So Lord, help us to lift up our eyes and see the fields that are already ready, white to harvest. And may God that we'll send laborers in the vineyard. May you send them. May we echo the truth. They need to go. We all need to be involved in the work of the Lord. So Lord, may you use us tonight, just in a brief time, to challenge every heart and every life. In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I titled the message this morning, The Portrait of a Soul Winner talking about the Apostle Paul. One of the greatest men that's ever graced this earth has been the Apostle Paul. I said this morning, he may have been the greatest Christian that's ever lived. And his whole entire life, once he got converted, was used for one purpose, and that's to glorify God and to go after souls. Some say he was probably one of the most intellectual men of his day. He could speak several languages in itself. He might have been a member of the Sanhedrin court. I'm not sure if that'd be true or not. But he was an outstanding Judaizer. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a man who had great abilities, great talent, uh, great charisma, great power, great authority. He was under authority to go down and arrest Christians and to put them to death. Some of them or imprison them, as the case was with Simon or with Stephen, who was stoned at the walls by the enemy and died at the hand of the folks who persecuted him. And that was Saul of Tarsus was holding the garments while Stephen was stoned to death. Amazing. A man like this could be used of God. But it's amazing God can use anybody. We're just dust. We say it often. I heard it several years ago. All we are is a piece of dirt. Just a ball of dirt. Some of you are dirtier than others, but we're all balls of dirt. Amen. And some of us probably need to be cleaned up on the inside and the outside more than others maybe need that. But just to take the grains of dirt... And whether it be true or not, I'm not sure they say the same chemicals that's in dirt 
is in the human body. And the same type of material that it is to make up dirt. And the Bible says that God made man from the dust of the earth. Amen. You believe that? Yes, and so we're just a dust ball then if you want to make a dust ball. <laughs> Instead of a dirt ball, we're a dust ball. Yeah. We've been made by the sovereign hand of a holy, righteous God who had a plan of redemption before the foundation of the world, knowing all things. He knew that man would fail the test in the Garden of Eden. He knew that man would sin and bring depravity into our lives and we'd be born with sinful nature as we talked about this morning. Don't have to teach a child to sin, they sin automatically. I said, number one, the motive of the Apostle Paul, he was under command. Turn with me, please, the book of Acts and the conversion of the Apostle Paul for just a minute. Uh, Acts chapter 9, and let's read a few verses of Scripture. If you have your Bible, just back a few chapters from where we're at. Chapter 9, book of Acts. And Saul, that's the name he had before he was converted, as we know, several folks' name was changed in the Word of God. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. Now we're talking about a man who's mean in his own right. He was, thought he was doing right, but he was mean. The Bible says he breathed out threatenings and slaughter and murderers and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way... And of course, this way was the Christ way. Yeah, they were first called Christians at Antioch later, but they were followers of Christ. This way, this way. Jesus said, well, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Whether they were men or women, didn't matter to him. Bad enough to kill men. Bad enough to see Stephen Stone. He was willing to arrest women as well as men. He might bring them bound into Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven. And he fell on the earth, and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul. Now always remember when a name is repeated, there's emphasis for a reason. Martha, Martha, Mary, Mary, whoever it was. Saul, Saul. Called his name twice. Why persecutest thou me? Now we know who was talking. We know who was given the message. And it was Jesus Christ himself. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? Who art thou? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. The conviction that already was arresting the apostle's life before he was changed to the apostle Paul. Saul of Tarsus, his life was being convicted. His sins were being brought to him. He was kicking against the very one that was showing him some, some concern. And he, trembling, that's Saul, and astonished, said, Lord... What would thou have me to do? He getting saved pretty quick. Didn't take him long. He probably thought about it for quite a while. It might have been the conversion of Stephen that set the very pace and maybe increased the intensity of the apostle getting saved when he saw Stephen die like he died and Jesus stood up to welcome him to glory and Stephen died, one of the first martyrs of the Bible and one of the first deacons of the New Testament. And thank God for men like, like Stephen. If you want to read his sermon, it's a pretty lengthy sermon. I think it's chapter 7. He gave his sermon before he died, and they eventually would kill him. But Saul of Tarsus was there. And the Bible says, Lord, what would thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the, into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. He was going to fulfill the will of God for his life. Little did he realize what that would mean. He would touch the whole world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
all of Asia on three missionary journeys, Asia Minor, Asia itself, all the great countries that we know of today are there that was touched by the ministry of the Apostle Paul, eventually had a desire to go to Rome. He did, not the way he probably thought he was going to go, but he got there, and eventually he would be crucified, or history says he had his head be taken from his shoulders there after a trial uh, that he was guilty of blasphemy and claimed to be uh, the follower of this way, the one Jesus Christ. And he died. And he said, I have fought a good fight, I kept the faith, finished the course. I am now ready. There he was. I am now ready to preach the gospel. I am now ready to be crucified if need be. I am now ready to die for the cause of Christ. Acts chapter 9 verse 1 through 16 gives his conversion. And Paul told it at least three times. Let me tell you what happened to me on the way to Damascus. Now, I had a man in our church years ago. He said, if I had experience like Paul did before he was saved, I sure would have got saved too. And, but he was an unusual man, this man here, who got saved, Saul of Tarsus. The most unlikely man to do what he's getting ready to do is Saul of Tarsus. A man who probably did not fit the norm, did not fit the, the IQ, did not fit the equation, did not fit the custom of being a preacher of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I thank God for people who are called in the ministry. The Bible says, how beautiful are the feet of those that preach the good tidings of great peace. Every Christian is to be a preacher. Even men are to be preachers and women are to be preachers. All God's children are to be preachers. Children are to be preachers. Everybody ought to be preachers. Now, some are not to be pastors. Women don't need to be pastoring a church. Uh, I don't think that's biblical. Amen. I don't think that needs to be taught. I think it needs to be taught against. I think there's a danger in that. But be it as it may, women are to be preachers of the gospel. Thank God for great soul winners in the New Testament who, who were able to win souls to Christ. Because, just because they were women did not limit them. But especially the men that were used of God uh, in, the, in the New Testament after the book of Acts is closing and these great men of God who continued until the, the day they died and went home to heaven except maybe John on the Isle of Patmos, the last we hear about. But the motive of Paul was a command. He had a purpose for his life. The command was given. Point number one. The primary job of the Apostle Paul was to obey the command. He was to go, arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Here I am, Lord. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm a debtor. I have a debt to pay, especially after realizing what he'd just gone through, what had happened, and, and knowing the life of Jesus Christ, he had a debt to get to rest the Jews that he possibly could. And so he was doing his best to serve God. He wanted to obey the command. He had a great concern, I mentioned this morning, in Romans chapter 9, chapter 10. He wanted to see his kin people saved. You know, one of the first things happens when you get right with the Lord, when you really get right with the Lord, you want your loved ones to be saved. Yeah. There's something about that that builds a new... Sometimes we say, boy, it's difficult to witness to your own loved ones. Maybe so, but it's one of the places where you are to witness the most. As a matter of fact, they are to see you in action. They ought to know if you're saved or not just by the difference in your life. Uh, we hear it from time to time. You've heard it yourself. Boy, there sure has been a change in old Joe. I remember before he got saved. Remember how he was before he got saved? I mean, just an old liquorized guy, full of drugs, sleeping on the streets, uh, carousing and partying, had a terrible life. It's a wonder he's alive. And here he's got now. He's preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine a guy like Saul of Tarsus? I mean, a man that was 
breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord in verse 1 of chapter 9, and went even to the high priest and said, give me some names. I'll go after them. I'll go do the job. I'll get it done. If anybody can get it done, I can get it done. I'll see that they're all put to death, or at least put behind prison bars. They're not going to overthrow us. These people are the way, known as Christians, we're going to deal with them. And Saul hated them with a vehement hate, and God Almighty struck him down and changed that hate to love, moved upon his eternal soul, that Saul of Tarsus now said, I've got to get my loved ones saved. I've got to get my friends saved. That circle that's important. Churches grow this way by the friendship circle. 85% of all people that ever come to a church, they come because of a friend or a loved one. They don't come because you've got a great preacher and you don't have one. You don't come just because you have good singing, even though we have good singing. That's not the reason why people come to church the first time. They usually come by the invitation of a friend or a loved one, and they come. We're talking about having friend day in just a few weeks, maybe latter part of March, and just see how many we can sign up to come on friend day. How many friends do you have? In RU, they have a little a sermon by Currington preaching. I think it was last this past Friday night. How many of you would have 100 people come to your funeral if you died? Would you raise your hand? If you think 100 people would show up, nobody? Oh, surely some of you had more than that. But don't, you don't have to be humble about it. Just say, yeah, thousands will come. How many believe 50 people show up for your funeral? Ah, we're getting there. Okay. Hold on just a second. 50 folk would come to your funeral. How many believe 25 would show up at yours? How about 10? <laughs> How many believe nobody would show up for your funeral? Now, we're all trying to be humble. I know we are, but uh, Brother Currington says, be at least one there. You're there. So one is going to show up for your funeral. But the friends and the loved ones, I guarantee you, are going to come by to view the body. They're going to come by someday after you're dead and gone. They're going to look down in the car and say, sure do look good. Sometimes they don't say it at all when you're alive, but when you're dead, they look down and say, boy, he sure does look good. They fixed him up real good. Like this is the best day of his life, and it may have been. But they come by, and, and we all do it. We're going to weep, we're going to cry, we're going to mourn, because that's part and parcel of our life. A time to mourn, a time to dance, there's a time for all things, and there's a time to mourn. And somewhere, someday on the calendar, somebody's going to come by and mourn for you. And I believe it would be more than just 10 or 15 coming to your funeral. If we just took our church family and you died, I guarantee you just about everyone that's active would try to come to the funeral. Sometime, at least the funeral home, at least to come to view the body. So they can come by and say, sure does look good. Everybody needs to brag on the dead. But the fact is we love our loved ones. We love our friends. And sometimes your friends are closer than your loved ones. Sometimes your brothers and your sisters in the Lord are closer than your even earthly brothers. And you may not even have a family, but you can have a church family. I appreciate what Miss Janie says when she come in today. Sure, be sure miss the church. And we miss y'all being here. Miss anybody who misses the church. We'll ask Miss Janie to come. She says it's just been a joy uh, to be a part of the church. And I missed it when I was gone. And we're glad she's here. Aren't you glad she's here? Well, amen and amen. And I think Miss Janie, don't die on us. But if you died, I think most of these people would come and say, you sure do look good. <laughs> They're going to make those comments about you. And so the funeral people can fix up the body. Aren't you glad absent from the body is to be present amen. with the Lord? Amen. And look down there and say, that, there's the old, uh, the old nut still there. No, the nut's already gone. It's been cracked open and the nut's not there. I mean, it's gone. It's just a shell that remains behind. And the nut is in the presence of the Lord, and it's not nutty anymore. It's a full-grown tree. 
Whatever that may mean in eternity, I don't know. But that nut has disappeared from the body. But it's always good to have a church family. I love to go to church. I've been going to church all my life. I'm 77 years of age. I used to be able to say I could count on that in how many times I missed church in my lifetime. It's been that way to the last few years. Somebody said life begins at 40. Who ever told you that lie? <laughs> life begins at 40. I, I used to say that, and now I change it a little bit. Uh, life begins different ages for different people. But as I got older, I realized I can't always go like I want to and do like I want to. But I'm glad to go to church. Dr. Roloff or Dr. House One used to say you need to put the preservers back. You need to get things ready. For the day will come, you need to be built up for the future. When the day will come, you're not be able to do certain things. You build up some reserves and preserves that will help you when you're incapacitated. How many of us in this room, God forbid, will one day be an invalid on a bed of affliction? My grandmother spent 27 years, I believe it was, on the bed of affliction on my daddy's side. And my granddaddy was, I'm named after him, James Ellison. Paul is his name. And he led singing at the city mission in Ironton, Ohio. I've talked about it quite a few times. And what daddy would do, granddaddy would do, I preached revival there all back when I was a kid preacher. And there's a joy to sit on the platform with my granddaddy. Even better joy to sit on the same platform with the man I'm named after. And uh, he got up to lead the singing at old Ironton City Mission. A lot of drunks were there, a lot of drug addicts and various people and poor people come in to get a meal. And he'd lead the singing, very faithful. He'd get there early, get the songbooks out. He'd stay a little later to get the songbook back up. And uh, I've said this several times when I was there to the preacher. Granddad's getting sort of old. He may have to be replaced because he just can't keep up. Sometimes he's a little behind on the music. And the pastor said to me, he said, James, said, we'll never ask him to step down. As long as he can lead singing, he's going to be our song leader. It may not sound good to everybody else. It sounds good to us because he's been faithful. What he would do, he would find somebody to sit with Grandma Martha while he went to the church. He didn't stay home with her very, very much at night. He stayed with her during the day when he went out cutting John's, trimming trees. He had to be 98 years of age. But one thing said about Granddaddy, he didn't neglect his wife. He took care of her the best he could. If he had to stay home, he would. But most time he could find somebody to stay for a while while he went to church because he didn't want to miss church. He didn't want to miss church. He didn't want to miss church. He didn't want to miss church because there's strength and there's vibrancy that comes in being around God's people. You say, preacher, it don't affect me one way or the other. I miss being around God's people. And when you get invalid and you can't motivate like you used to, you'd give anything in the world if you just walk to church or walk in a church or be able to join with others and sing together and know Him of the faith and be able to rejoice and shout in the presence of God and each other. There's something about a church family that's great to have. And may God help us never, never to take it for granted. Let's love each other. But those loved ones of ours that's not saved, they ought to be on our heart regularly. And we ought to pray for them faithfully. And Apostle Paul, his motive was a command, but also was because of a concern. And so it is the meekness of Paul. I was going to talk about this morning, I did. So I'm not going to rehearse that tonight. His testimony in chapter 1 of the book of Timothy, how he was, if anybody deserved to be uh, recognized as a, as a godly man, it should be Saul of Tarsus. When we get over to Philippians chapter 3, he gives a biography of his own life. Darren and I were discussing in the office a while ago. If anybody deserves to go to heaven without being saved, it's Paul. If you're talking about a good Jew from a Jewish standpoint, in the Judea, being a Pharisee, he traced his lineage all the way back to Abraham. That's pretty good. I mean, Abraham's my father. And he says, if anybody deserved to have the privilege of being good and being able to go to heaven. 
Paul was saying, this, it's me, I'm more. I, I even deserve it from a human standpoint, someone, someone would say. But he says, I count it all done that I may win a some. He said, my desire is my family to be one. He says, I lay aside the platitudes and the compliments and the compliments that folks give me and say about me. He says, I know what they are. I know who I was. I know what I was doing. And I am nothing but a chief of sinners. And all the rest of it can be saved because I know who I am and what I was and how far in sin I was. Did I realize it until I was arrested by the Holy Spirit? By the way, did I tell you what happened to me on the road to Damascus? It changed his life forever. Now listen very carefully. Conversion, whether it be on the road to Damascus or whether it be at an altar, whether it be by your bedside or on the work side, getting saved is a Bethel experience that you ought never, you ought never get over. You ought to remember the place, if possible, the very day, the very hour, if you could. But you definitely ought to know there was a place somewhere, sometime, that I knelt my knee before a holy God and gave my life to Jesus Christ. Amen. And I sure am glad I was there. I was there when it happened. So I guess I ought to know. I don't know how. I don't know why. But thank God for the marvelous love of God that reached farther down than I could ever reach up. And He saved me by His grace divine. Grace divine grace divine I belong to him now and forever hallelujah hallelujah praise God for my conversion Amen. you say preacher yours wasn't too big you just look kid mine was big Amen. mine was real big you say you didn't know enough to get out of the rain let me tell you what you get, get saved when you're a child D.L. Moody was a great preacher he never was ordained he was just a layman but uh, D.L. Moody laid two hands one on England, one on America, and shook both nations for God. Just a converted teenager going to Chicago to make a fortune. His desire was to be a millionaire. Went to work for Mr. Kimball, his Sunday school teacher. Thank God for good Sunday school teachers. Mr. Kimball was influential in seeing D.L. Moody give his life to Jesus Christ. D.L. Moody eventually began to spread around the country and around the world. I probably got five biographies of D.L. Moody, written one by his son, Will, and by other folks who've written biographies about uh, D.L. Moody. One of the great Christians of all Christians in America's history, plus England's, is D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody would preach the gospel, and the crowds got bigger, the crusades got bigger. He even had that terrible fire in Chicago, Illinois, where a cow knocked over a lantern in the barn and set Chicago on fire. And that night, D.L. Moody did not give an invitation. He regretted the day that he did not give an invitation that night. He preached. The whole town burned. Many thousands of people died in that Chicago fire. He never got over that, they said. It affected the rest of his life. It's troubled and sorrowed because many of the folks went up in the flame literally that night who were at the crusade and they knew him personally. They never made it to the next service because they didn't have one. And the place burned. But D.L. Moody went out preaching. So they come back home and somebody say, well, how many conversions did you have, Mr. Moody? He said, I had two and a half. Two and a half. They said, you had two adults and one child? No, no. I had two children and one adult. Well, how do you get two and a half? The older people, their life is half gone. These children who are half are just starting. and They've got their whole life ahead of them. He said, I call that two and a half conversions today. He said, well, that wasn't a lot of conversions. How do you count conversions? If it's my son or your son got saved, that's hallelujah time. How about it's hallelujah time for somebody else whose who's loved ones got saved? How great it is for everybody to know Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. But D.L. Moody, he was concerned about his own family. 
and many members of his family got saved and brought the Lord at the conversion, influenced by a Sunday school teacher. And again, thank God for good Sunday school teachers who influenced the life of their children over and over again. You never know how much influence you have until perhaps the judgment day when the Lord passes out rewards. You never know how much good you've done, neither will I. But the meekness of the Apostle Paul, you see his meekness. He says, I have the rights to be this, I have the rights to be that, I have the religious background, I'm Pharisee of the Pharisees, I think I'm from a wonderful race of people, the Jew first, I'm in that category, and I've got to preach the gospel to the Jew and to the Greek and to the wise and the barbarians. And he said, I have a privilege and an opportunity, but he says, I count it all done that I may win some, that I may know Christ. I count everything that I've had done, human refuge. That's pretty plain speaking. He said, I count it all done that I may know Christ. You talk about meekness. You go from the motive of the Apostle Paul to his humility, to his meekness. Just a wonderful, wonderful soldier of the cross who lived his life and served the Lord faithfully and was there to the duration until the very day that he came down to die at the hands of the Roman Empire. You know, sometimes folks depend on the religion to get them to heaven. How many Baptists do we have? How many were Baptists growing up? You were a Baptist growing up. Raise your hand. How many of you were some other denomination? How many were Methodists? How many were Catholics? How many were Presbyterians? How about Nazarenos? I got precious loved ones in Nazarene Church. So if you were not a Baptist or something I called, would you raise your hand? Larry, what were y'all? You what? Non-denominational. Non-denominational. Larry? Oh, Judy was Lutheran. I remember Judy. It took a while to get Judy baptized. She's a Lutheran. You know how them Lutherans are? Yeah. yeah. Thank God for good Lutherans, but they all got to get saved the same way. And you don't get saved with sprinkling, right, Judy? Judy said, I got baptized when I was a baby. It's amazing she's here tonight. Just the grace of God. If her husband hadn't made her get right, she'd never got right. <laughs> uh, she's more open to it than anybody I've ever met in my life. Just open to the gospel. Do what? You know better now. <laughs> Anybody have another group? Church of God. Anybody else? Alan? Catholic. Catholic. You said Catholic. Yeah, yeah. it's slow belly. Anybody else? Religion can't get you there. And Baptists can't get you there. I've been a Baptist persuasion all my life. Guys have been Baptist bred, Baptist fed. Thank God I'll be Baptist dead. You may be that way one of these days. But Baptists don't get you to heaven. Nazarene don't get you to heaven. Church of God don't get you to heaven. Catholics don't get you to heaven. It's only by and through the precious blood of the dear precious son of the living God who reached farther down than you can reach up and say I love you and from the very pit of hell as it were reached up your, your body, your soul spiritually and lifted you out of the miry clay. I mentioned this morning plunge your feet on the solid rock and establish your going and give a song in your heart. The meekness, the humility. He says, when I've done my, the least, if I've done everything I can be doing, done, the writing of Jesus said about the servant in chapter 17 of the book of Luke, he says, I've just done my duty. Whatever I've done, I've just done my duty. I just reported the duty. Don't worry about being bragged on. The Lord's going to take care of that for all of us. Don't worry about somebody you know, sort of overlooks you sometime 
and says they don't do a whole lot. And they may do the person who does the, does the most in the church may be the one of the most unlikely people in all the world who just do things. I was thinking about coming across the parking lot the other day, maybe a few days ago. Anything you see that needs to be done, just volunteer. And if you don't want, if you can't volunteer and do it, would you be willing to come and help somebody? Would you be willing to go get Bojangles while somebody else works a little while? When we come across the parking lot, we come in the house. I was thinking sometimes you find a piece of paper on the floor. If you see a piece of paper, it's our church. You don't have to be the custodian always picking things up. If you see something out of sync, just sort of straighten it up a little bit. You're not trying to take somebody's job, but it's just something that can be done by anybody. All of us need to be involved in the least, the biggest, the greatest of things we do. And no task has ever gone unnoticed, as I mentioned about this water so many, many times in the last few months. One time I did not drink the water because Judy Bearman had put a frog in it. <laughs> How many members that? Anybody? Well, watch one show up next week. <laughs> and if you'd be if you'd be kind to your pastor, if it shows up, all in favor of Judy Judy Bearman have to drink it. Say, ah. <laughs> Her husband says, Amen. <laughs> Judy's been a sort of a spark plug at times. I told you about her scaring me to death at the office one time. Judy's our director and was on staff for several years. I heard a knock on the door. So I go and open the door and there was nothing there but a trash can. Just a trash can. And all of a sudden Judy throws the lid off. Ah! Okay. I cut her pay in half. Uh, that'll get you. Wouldn't cut much, would it? But church family's precious. Church relationship is precious. Paul could went to heaven on merits. He get there on merits, but that don't suffice. I can't get there on my race. God has no grandchildren. Do you know that? That's right. Everybody's a child of God. Amen. You're not a grandchild of God. You're a child of God. I don't go to mom. I don't go to heaven because of mom and dad. Well, my mom and dad went. So a lot of mom and dad went. You don't go on their uh, merits. You go on the blood of Jesus Christ, or you don't go at all. And blood shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven, but those who know Jesus Christ's will and thank God for that. The last point I want to mention, the maturity of Paul. Outside the word maturity, put the word fruit. His desire was to bring forth fruit as a Christian. He wrote many of the epistles. He wrote probably 12 or 13 books of the New Testament. But he wrote to one in Galatia, the church of Galatia, when he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is. Nine different fruit on one tree. But the fruit of the Spirit is, that's discipleship, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, temperance, so forth. Against such there is no law. And those nine different qualities represent the Lord Jesus Christ. In the same way with 1 Corinthians 13 on the great chapter of love. And so the Apostle Paul had a desire to see fruit in Christ. They're all that you may know the Lord. I want to know Him, that you may know Him, that your knowledge will increase in the will of God. And over and over again, he would re-emphasize re truths to the various churches of Asia to get them to understand they need to mature in the desire to uh, love folks to death and see that they come to know Christ as Savior. Someone said the fruit of a Christian is another Christian. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, temperance, so forth. But the fruit of a Christian is another Christian. I mean by that to influence somebody to be saved. Now let me be very honest with you. We teach soul winning course. 
There's nobody going to stand up here and say, I won these folk to Jesus Christ. There's nobody doing the winning except Jesus Christ. And he says, blessed are those and those happy are those and wise are those who win souls to Christ. But winning the souls to Christ goes like this. Hi, I'm James Pauley from Faith Baptist Church. Just in the community, just want to share the truth with you, invite you to church and just meet somebody. So I met somebody at the door. I said, would you take this track? On the back is the address of the church and a picture of me. And I say, a picture of me. And I say, that picture right there, what you can do when you come down to getting the garden ready, you take that picture and put it in your garden and it'll keep the crows away. But I want you to have this track because it tells you how God loves you and Jesus died for you. It may not got saved. Somebody else comes along. Uh, I just in the community talking or I'd meet him on the street. I said, somebody just gave me a track a few days ago that somebody's watering the seed again. Do you see all the watering that goes in soul winning? It may be 10 down the road. You may be the instrument. Thank God for people who are instruments to be able to present the plan of salvation. That's what we want to talk about, how to give them the salvation. But a man, because some mama prayed for 50 years for her own child, she watered it with her own tears. The reason why she, you, got to say, you just happen to be the one that was blessed of God to present the gospel message verbally or in, right in their presence. I'm just saying nobody gets credit except God. To God be the glory, great things He had done. I cannot take credit for one soul tree been saved. I can say to this, I'm glad God uses me from time to time, and you can say the same thing. You ought to, not, you ought to leave this world saying, by the grace of God, I have told somebody else about Jesus Christ. I do not well to have what the answer is and not share it with others. I, I do not well in having the cure to cancer if I had it and not share it. I do not well to have food and you're going hungry. There needs to be a degree of loving people and reaching out and trying to reach folks for Christ. One of the greatest weapons in all the world, and I say weapons in the right way, is the gospel track. You can put these anywhere as a silent message just about, and uh, sometime we talk more about it. It's been amazing what tracks have showed up at. I'll give you an illustration right quickly. My brother, I talked to him yesterday. He's getting ready to go to Hammond, Indiana to speak there. God has blessed him in a mighty way to be able to speak in various places since he's retired. But he's speaking for John Wilkerson this coming week. And he told a story about a man they gave a track to in Beckley, outside of Beckley, West Virginia. And the man took the track and said, okay, thank you, and he went on his way. But the man folded it up and put it in his billfold. He just stuck it in his billfold. Months went by. He was in a hotel room. He had a pistol pulled, ready to kill himself, if I remember the story correctly. He was going to kill himself. He was so depressed. And he remembered that piece of paper that my brother had given him. Somebody gave him a track. He pulled that track out. He sat there on the bed, side of the bed with a loaded revolver in one hand and the gospel gun in the other hand. The truth of God in his hand and read the glorious gospel. God loves you. Jesus Christ died for you. But God commended his love towards you while you were in sinners. Christ died for you. And he read that and wept. And he said, Dear Lord, I don't know if you can save me or not. If you can save me, I trust you now as your Savior. And that very moment he was saved because a gospel tract was passed out months before. Landed up in a man's billfold. And now by the bedside, what is about to commit suicide. Don't underestimate the power Hebrews 4.12 of the Word of God. It divides, it cuts asunder, it goes deep, it goes here, it goes there. It's like a seed that's planted. May God help us today 
to be faithful to the Lord and say, I want others to mature. Paul, the reason he was a good Christian, and he was that, is because he was meek and humble, because he had a motive to glorify God and not himself. He wasn't trying to look for praises and accolades on the back. He just wanted to do the will of God, whatever it may be, until. And he wanted folks to mature and have fruit, that your fruit may remain, that your fruit may grow. That Jesus taught in John 15. Apostle Paul wanted to get the same thing in the early churches that he established or helped establish as a missionary in that area. And I'm glad the Apostle Paul showed up on the scene. I close with this tonight. He wanted us to learn doctrine. We ought to learn doctrine. And I wouldn't take the time tonight, but I could. Ephesians 4, 1 Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 2, and the Great Commission teaches doctrine. What is, somebody says, I don't want to hear doctrine. Doctrine is simply teaching of the Word of God. Amen. If it's not built on the Word of God, explained by the will of, from the Word of God, it is not doctrine. It's not how I feel. Uh, I have all kinds of feelings. <clears throat> I can't put my feelings on the same level with doctrine. <clears throat> somebody said, boy, I felt such a certain way when I got saved. Let me, let me just chase the rabbit just a minute and I'll be through. How many of you can remember an unusual feeling when you got saved. Not everybody has now, so don't ever, if something unusual, you shouted, or you, it was just overdramatic when you got saved. Anybody raise your hand? Tommy told you about this morning. Willard G told you. By the way, thanks for the hug. If you were here this morning, that's what Willard's posted. You know what he did the first thing when he saw me? He hugged me, and I said, oh, my goodness. He had an unusual experience. Anybody else? Brother, Brother Gary. Had an unusual, anybody else? Afraid of dying. That's a pretty good reason to get saved. And all God's people said. How many of you got saved at home? Raise your hand. Miss Linda? Miss Wright? How many of you wept and cried? Several of you. How many of you didn't do a lot of crying? You just, you just got saved. Amen. Amen. His name is Max Overcash. He's in glory now. I had the privilege of preaching his funeral. I had the privilege of preaching his wife's funeral, Miss Mary. I read one of her poems at her funeral. That she gave me a copy of a book of poems that she wrote. Two of our men went down Lane Street, knocked on the door, passing out tracts, inviting folks to church. Max Overcash stood on the other side of the door, and he talked to the men quite a while. They come back to church. He said, Preacher, this might be good to follow up on. He said, He seems to be interested. Max Overcash lives just down the road here, peace. So I knocked on the door one day, introduced myself, and he said, Come in. And as he moved the can of beer out of my sight and hid it behind him, like he, it didn't matter whether I said it, God saw it, but he was trying to hide it from the preacher. Had a big old bear that had stuffed from killing. This bear had a big old bear in his living room. We chit-chatted about the bear for a while. And I said, Max, I believe I could take him on a good day. I believe I could whoop that bear. And we kidded back and forth about the bear. And then we sat there a while and I said, I could ask you a question. Some of our men came by the other day and they gave me your name. If you were to die right now, would you go to heaven? He said, no, sir. I said, would you like to know? He said, yes, sir. I said, can I take the scriptures and read to you? The Word of God tells you how to be saved. He said, yes, sir. So I began to read the Scripture. Do you realize you're a sinner? He said, yes. Do you realize that Jesus Christ gave His blood on the cross for your sins?
He said, yes. Do you know God loves you? He said, yes. Do you know whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? What the Bible said? He said, yes. I said, well, Max, would you like to be saved right now? He said, yes. I said, if I have a word of prayer with you, would you pray? He said, yes. So I prayed, and I waited for him to pray. I said, Max, if you prayed, he said, yes. I said, you trust the Christ as Savior? He said, yes. I said, well, the next thing to do is be in church on Wednesday night. That'd be on Wednesday. Can you be there? And he said, yes. I walked out the door and I thought, did he mean that? All he said was yes and no. And come Wednesday night here in the Miss Mary, walked in the door. I said, Max, good to see you. Yes. I told you I'd be here, didn't I? And it never was the same. Bus ministry, usher, whatever he could do until he got out of the will of God and bought a farm in Missouri. And it moved out there for a while. All the cell folks got the will of God and they moved. But Max was a faithful man. What a blessing it was. It all started when two soul winners knocked on their door, his door, and he got saved. Mary had been saved years ago, and they both became faithful in our church family. I'm just simply saying, don't give up, don't give in, don't give out. Only eternity knows what can be done through us telling the story of Jesus and his love. I close. Come unto me. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Here am I, send me. Come to the abused, the broken, the confused, the doubtful, the evil, the fallen, the guilty, the hurting, the injured, the jealous, the killer, the lost, the mournful ones, the nobility, the oppressed, the possessed, the quiet people, the religious people, the sinful, the troubled, the unclean, the vile, the wasted, the, the exiled, the yearning people who have a desire in their heart, and those who are zealous for some meaning of life. The church, and I close with a circle around these two words, or three words, hospital for the sick. is what a church is. A hospital for the sick. Because all of you have been sick, and so have I. And the healing hand of God's power in our life has saved us. We may have physical pains, but one day all that may pass because of the great love of God and saving our souls from hell. Let's stand together, please. Thank you for listening so faithfully. His motive was right, the glory of God to fulfill the commands and the desire he had, the concern he had. His meekness was right. He was willing to become a castaway himself, be even a curse for his own people. He realized he was nothing apart from God's grace, humbled himself down, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself no reputation. Apostle Paul felt like he ought to be like that. And he could have bragged about it, but he didn't brag about it. He just said that I may know him, that I may know Christ. And then the maturity process of seeing folks grow. There's one thing wonderful about seeing a Christian or a person become a Christian is seeing them grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Wherever you may be on the scale tonight, needing Christ, need to rededicate your life, or just come pray. I hope you'll use the altar as an invitation to come and do business.